Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. For $5 a month, you can actually see the Thin Green Line interviews and other video content on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and feel like you're part of the conversation. Join us. Today's Thin Green Line is going to be with Cindy Stites, who is an education director at Hunt to Eat. But just if, when you're listening to the Thin Green Line, if you guys could get on your Apple Podcasts and uh, continue our five-star rating, that certainly helps us uh, get advertisers, get more listeners to the Thin Green Line. So if it's something that you're enjoying and we're, we're interviewing the people that you want to hear cool. from, just give us that five-star rating on Apple. That that really appreciate that. And John isn't joining us just yet. He may bomb in because we live so remotely sometimes we have issues. So he had an internet issue today. They told him to be up and running in two hours and uh, four hours into it, he's not up and running. So he's hopeful to to join our conversation, Cindy. But I'm just going to read a little bio about Cindy uh, and then we can get right into this podcast. Uh, Cindy Stites is a woman who has overcome adversity by finding her way in the outdoors. She's a hunter an angler, and a budding conservationist who finds a deeper meaning in the food she consumes due to the way it is acquired. She's a storyteller that has a way of not only making people feel like they are on the journey with her, but making them want to keep going, whether they have ever ventured out into the outdoors or not. She cares deeply for the animals she pursues, and she is thankful for the opportunities she has in the outdoors. Cindy also believes working hard to ensure generations to come will have the same opportunities that she has now. And, and by reading all of Cindy's information, that, that, that last sentence really sums you up, Cindy. You know, working hard to ensure generations to come will have the same opportunities that you have now. And, and you're kind of new to the hunting and new to, new to the outdoors? Or, I mean, it hasn't been that long? or get, get... Not new to the outdoors. Okay. I've, 
I've been, you know, growing up, I was outside all the time. My brother and I played outside. We had a woods across the road from where we live. So we'd go over there and make tree forts and we'd play in the creek and catch crawdads. And my dad taught us how to fish at a really young age. So outdoors was a norm for me. Um, so it was an easy transition for you into doing something yeah. else in the outdoors. Yeah, I felt comfortable when I started actually seeing my current partner, Chance, he made the assumption that because I like to fish so much that he just assumed I would like to hunt. And uh. I, it it never, never crossed my mind. Hunting was never anything that was discussed in our household. I didn't find out until just a few years ago that my dad, who was 80, was an avid hunter when he was younger. I mean, mm. that was his life. That was all he cared about was hunting. But it just struck me funny that he had never talked about it with myself or my my brother, Mike. Now, my oldest brother might be the cause of that. When he was young, uh, dad was taking him squirrel hunting and they went out and they got dad pulled up on a squirrel and my brother just had a meltdown. He was six, I think. And he was like, you're not going to kill it, are you? And my dad was like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> and my brother had a meltdown and my dad quit hunting like he never hunted again. Wow. And it just that blew my mind because he said he didn't want to lie to my brother. And if my brother asked where he was going, he didn't want to, you know, lie to him. So he just quit hunting. So when I found that out, it just it, I had so many questions, you know, for my dad, like, what mm -hmm. did you hunt and where did you hunt? And, right. You know, did you eat everything? And <clears throat> so while I did come from a hunting family, I just didn't know it <laughs> until way later in the game. So, yeah, I didn't start hunting until. Uh, it's been nine years ago now. Well, this is my ninth season. I'm just finishing up. Mm. And um, my boyfriend kind of pushed me in that direction. Um, it wasn't a gentle nudge. It was more, <laughs> here, I'm going to teach you how to shoot. There's a tree stand and go figure it out. That's how I learned and that's how you're going to learn. And it was rough. I mean, it was, it was brutal. But You had expectations. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was always an athlete, so that stuff came easy to me mm -hmm. whether it was basketball or softball or soccer or whatever <clears throat> so i thought this would be super easy and i found out pretty quickly that that's not the way it works it's yeah. you're dealing with a, a living animal that doesn't care what you know how easy you think it should be so it was first year was pretty rough um i learned a lot um i was proud of myself for figuring a lot of stuff out yeah um just because you know chance would throw me a bone here and there and say, well, now you want to know why you shouldn't have done that or why I wouldn't have sat there. And he always told me after the fact, which was probably the most frustrating thing in the world, but, um, you know, it worked. And I went down the rabbit hole and I haven't come back out. <laughs> yeah. I went, I went way down the rabbit hole. Yeah. That's a, and, it, and it sounds like you want to bring people down the rabbit hole with you because of how much you do enjoy it and that connection, whether it's the food you get yeah. to the table or just the enjoyment you get of the learning. And a, a lot of hunters are athletes. I mean, I lost 15 pounds this hunting season, and it, it was a lot yeah. of work. Uh, so it, Yeah, and also, I, I came from a background prior to meeting Chance. I was in an abusive marriage for 11 years. Mm. So getting out in the woods and having that quiet time and kind of uh, coming to terms with a lot of things was a real healing factor for me. Plus, I didn't have any confidence. I mean, I'm sorry, my dog is having a fit on the other <laughs> side of my desk. I don't know if you can hear that, but I didn't have any confidence. Um, that had been stripped for me. Just uh, no confidence, no self-worth. I just didn't really feel like I had a purpose. And mm -hmm. once I got into the woods and started hunting, it, it, it changed my whole trajectory. I mean, it just gave me 
a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of um, accomplishment when I fig- when I did figure things out on my own. Mm-hmm. So my confidence level just started building a little bit at a time. And I thought, you know, if that if that happens to me, there's God, there's so many people out there that could possibly be in a situation similar to mine that it could help them. And it, it doesn't even have to be hunting. You know, if somebody wants to get into fishing or hiking or rock climbing, just getting outdoors, I think there's a certain... I don't want to be corny and say there's a certain healing effect to it, but for me there was. So I think there can be for other people. And I don't think that's corny at all. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right because it is, it is. I, I call it spiritual being in the woods some days. It's just, uh, you know, all by yourself out there with your own thoughts. Um, you got to be quiet. Yeah. So it's just you and, and there's nothing else and there's nature around you. And all of a sudden, the day is gone. That's what uh, it just intrigues my mind, how fast a day in the woods goes by with just you, your thoughts, and everything around you, and whether you're figuring things out or smelling different smells. And it's just so engaging. And, and I don't think that's what people understand. When they think of hunting, they think of killing. And I'm like, don't think of killing. Think of the experience. Because um, yeah. there's so many layers to hunting. And when they think of hunting, they think of just deer hunting too, a lot of people. There's this small game, like you mentioned, you guys squirrel hunted. I mean, that, that's a great way to get kids interested in it and yeah. then bring that that to table too, because that, that's the other thing I really like about you. It, it, it's hunt to eat. And that seems to be what is engaging people nowadays is, is you know, bringing, knowing where their food came from, how it was prepared and knowing that it had a purpose and uh, making it taste good too. It's, it's, it's a whole system now. It is. And I think that's a huge draw for people into hunting right now, especially with the pandemic. I mean, mm. there was so much panic at the beginning stages of this and going to the grocery store and not having, you know, a full stock of what we're used to seeing. And for us, when it comes to meat, we just, that's not a worry that we have. That's not something that concerns us because we know that we have a full freezer. So it gives you a certain sense of, um, I guess, safety. I don't know if safety is the right word, but you know that you know that nobody else is touching your food. We process everything ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when we go out, we hunt it, we kill it, we skin it, we butcher it, we put it in the freezer. Nobody else touches it but us. Mm-hmm. So there is there is a, a nice feeling about that that a lot of people will never know or don't understand. I mean, there's so many people that just think that. You know, it comes from the grocery store, but they don't think of what happens prior to that step, then putting it in their cart. So, yeah, um, new hunters want a part of that. They want to feel like they've been through the process of getting their own food. And it's heavy. I mean, there's a lot of people that the killing part is really tough. It's tough for me. And I, I live and breathe hunting. I mean, that's all I think about. And it's still pulling the trigger is the hardest part for me. And it always will be. And I think that if it isn't for me, then you know, I have to wonder what shifted because mm. it's, it's tough for me to pull the trigger. I love everything up to it and I love everything after it, but taking that life is, it's a struggle for me, but I know it's a necessary part of it if, you know, I want the, the meals afterwards. So, but it can be tough for people. And I think the older you get, the softer you get too. Uh, I just, you know, as a young game warden, uh, you know, game wardens kill a lot of animals because they have to. You know, they're injured, yeah. they're diseased, they're, uh, we, we are the people that use our, our, our 
guns are weapons or tools the the most out of most law enforcement and mostly to dispatch animals i mean i've had to kill everything yeah. from bear to moose to deer and the older i got the harder and harder it was the more i wanted that animal to survive i'll give that moose another day maybe it's going to be cut you know turn around maybe it's going to do this and finally you have to make that decision to put them down and it becomes yeah. tough and we raised meat rabbits for food um, a few years ago, when it came to butcher day, uh, I'll tell you, I, I had a really, really tough time with it. I had to make myself do it to the point where we don't have meat rabbits anymore. I just, that yeah. day just came and I just did not, and I understand the process. I, you know, I've grown up with it and it just, I think as the older I get, the more compassionate I get, the more sensitive yeah. I get. I, I don't know, but that's yeah, the way I'm I feeling. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I have to wonder and maybe I came into that quicker because I, I started hunting later in life. I didn't grow up with it. And so I, I guess um, there's certain parts of hunting that I think people just take for granted. And there's like, Oh yeah, we go out and kill a deer and yada, yada, yada. Well, I started so late that I put so much, there's so much extra thought mm. and analysis to what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So I don't know if maybe part of it is that I'm a woman and maybe there's a different set of emotions that we process you know when we're looking at a doe and a fawn and we shoot the doe that's like i mean i avoid that at all costs i know that i need to do it for management but there's a part of me right that's like nope i'm gonna pass i'm gonna wait till a doe comes by that's by herself and then i will shoot a doe but if she comes by and she has that year's fawns i'm just gonna watch they're gonna walk because i just i don't know i don't know what it is about that i never have a problem shooting a buck like Mm -hmm. that doesn't affect me emotionally i still hate pulling the trigger but it doesn't like make it doesn't make me think oh man that fawn now what's it gonna do its mom's gone i just i just killed its mom in front of it you know maybe i should kill it you know i mean there's just so many ridiculous thoughts that i have but i don't think i'm the only person that has this and i don't think women are the only ones that do but i don't know maybe maybe because i started hunting so late and my emotions are um i don't know mature (laughs) i get a little bit more emotional about that stuff but you touch on an awesome point the management of things when the management looks at it they they don't look at you know the buck well they do they look at the buck doe ratio but they look at what needs to be harvested uh and that could be you know whether it's that first yearling deer or that doe it's an antlerless animal usually because the, the, yeah. the bucks that we can have far fewer bucks than we need for does. And sometimes when we get too many does, it overpopulates an area, which uh, overgrazing, overthink, you know, there's so much to it that they yeah. put into it that, and, and you know, hunt to eat is really bringing that to light. Cause I grew up, I was a, I was a meat hunter. That's my family was a meat hunter. It didn't care if it was a, you know, we call them skippers in New Hampshire, uh, the yearling deer. It didn't matter if it was mm-hmm. a skipper or a doe or, you know, a spike horn, it, it, you know, it was, it was, if it was brown, it was down because that was, we ate it. We, we, we yeah. liked the meat. We relied on the meat a lot of the times. Uh, so it, it was, and then to come into this, this is the first year I've had opportunity to shoot other than a buck. I've, I've passed on a doe and I've passed on a spike horn waiting to try to get a mature buck. And the last day I had that opportunity and I had him in the scope at 60 yards. I could have put antlers on his head. And uh, as I turned up my scope, I got it all the way up to nine. And he decides to run just as I get it to nine and try to get that back oh. in the scope. But he turns and I see the beam. 
And I'm not sure if he only had one antler on one side or what was going on because I, I saw the yeah. beam as he turned and I could see it as he's running away. And then I couldn't yeah. get him in the scope. But uh, that was a good last day uh, scenario. Oh, yeah. But, I, you know, I had those opportunities, and I, for the first time in, in my life, I think, I, I passed on an animal, breaking the chain that, you know, I grew up with, that you, you brown it's down, we put it in the freezer, yeah. and yeah. it's kind of sad we don't have deer in the freezer, because usually my son will get one, you know, he's a youth hunter, uh, usually I rely on him, and you know, that day that uh, the spike horn was there, that was a legal deer. He was with me. He had, it was a really short spike, just just barely above his ears. He couldn't put mm-hmm. antlers on until it was too late, too. <laughs> yeah. But th- those... And, you know, it, it it's it's funny that, because I had a, a buck walk out in front of me this year, and I was just a random, completely random set of circumstances. I was hunting a new property that I gained permission to hunt this year. Um, I'm also an arborist, so another arborist that I know he lives in Indianapolis and this property is a good ways for him to drive. So he's like, if you'll keep an eye on this property, keep the you know, trespassers off, keep the trash picked up, you hunt it, hunt it all you want. You can take all your new hunters there. It's fine. It's yours. Nice. So I went out to this property and it was the first time hunting by myself because uh, I had been taking kids there to hunt. And I set up in a new spot and I saw deer. I had two small bucks walk past me. They were little spikes and I had the wind. So they walked right to me. And just kind of what I sit on the ground. So they weren't really sure. And they walked around me, never winded me or nothing. They just walked on by. And then I looked up and in 200 yards, a little over 200 yards at the other end of the field, I saw something brown in the brush and I knew it was coming out, but I also could tell that whatever it was, it was limping really bad. So I'm like, I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot. I don't care if it's a buck or doe or whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot it because it's hurt. And it came out into the field and I was still sitting in my little chair and I pulled my, my rifle up. And I found its vitals and I, I saw it was a buck, but I wasn't really paying attention to how big the antlers were. And I shot <laughs> as soon as I pulled the trigger, coyote ran in front of me so close. It almost knocked me out of my chair, <laughs> like right in front of my feet. And I jumped up and I was like, holy shit. And, you know, and I turn around <laughs> and I, I jack another shell in thinking I'm going to shoot the coyote. And I'm like, no, the deer. So I turned back around, you know, and this buck is standing at the end of the field, staring at the coyote, just statue not moving i had missed obviously just standing there and i was like no way so i pulled my rifle up and and i then i saw how big it was and i was like oh my gosh and of course i'm glad i didn't think about it too much but i ended up you know long shot i was shooting the weird thing i was shooting offhand at 200 yards wow and i dropped this deer the long you didn't shot think about like, it never happened to me. Never happened to me again. It you didn't could, think I about it. Do it twice. You didn't think about it. That's... No, because I was, I was just yeah. like, he's still there. I have to take the shot. But my point is, I didn't, I wasn't looking for a big buck. Mm. You know, it just happened that that's, and if that had been a doe that had walked in front of me and was limping, I would have shot her too. I just didn't care. But, but as far as the management side of it, like for with Hunt to Eat, the camps that we're setting up, when we go to these properties um, that are owned privately, we are making a point to tell them we're not after your bucks. Like that's not why we're taking people out and teaching them how to hunt. We're teaching Mm. them about the experience and the meat and what they can take home and put in their freezer. So that is something we're trying to instill in the new hunters that we take out. It's not about the rack. Like if you want to get to that point after you've been hunting for a while, that's perfectly fine. That's on you. But for Mm -hmm. right now we want to teach about ethics how it uh, revolves around conservation and how conservation and hunting are tied together and just about making good, clean, ethical shots. 
So I think that's appealing to some of the property owners that have reached out because yeah. we're there to help them manage their property. Mm-hmm. And I'm not some big deer manager. I, I mean, where we hunt on my boyfriend's dad's property, we're lucky if anything walks through. So it's like, we're not out there to manage it. We just try to put meat in the freezer. But for Hunt to Eat, we're making it a point that people know that we're not going out and teaching people to look for big racks. You know, if something walks in front of them and the property owner says, shoot, whatever, then that's fine. But that's not our goal. We're, we're there to talk about meat and putting that in the freezer for them. Yeah. And if you think of what meat is, you're usually the younger, the, the better, um, you know, those bucks, you're grinding it up to hamburger and, and eating it that way. So when you, when you start looking yeah. at, you know, doing nice, you know, deer steaks and stuff, you're looking at, you know, a more desirable animal is a younger animal, maybe a female animal, uh, especially not in the rut, that, that, that type of thing. So uh, that's a lot of things to think about. Um, and yeah, and, and people progress in, in their hunting now, whether they, you know, and I, I think I, I'm, I'm going to go back to, to shooting stuff just because I don't have deer in my freezer. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> that, that was a shocker, you know, at the end of the season, not to yeah. have a deer. Uh, I was yeah, like, wow, that, that was tough. And then to look at the opportunities that, that I let things go. And, and we, in the Northeast, at least in Northern New Hampshire, uh, we don't have a lot of opportunity. We only have so many tags to use. So yeah, some of those are reserved. I yeah. think uh, total you could get about three deer, two archery and one rifle. And that considers your muzzleloader okay. tag too. So um, yeah, so it was, it was a little different and uh, yeah, but it's uh, yeah, definitely. In, in Indiana, we can buy a bundle. So we get a buck and two does. That's what we get with our bundle. And okay. we can use that across all the seasons. So it doesn't matter if it's archery or nice. firearm or muzzleloader. So it, it affords us a lot of opportunity, but this was the first deer that I've killed in Indiana in two years because I passed on so many. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the season, chance would be like, uh, <laughs> we freezer meat. Yeah. Could yeah. we stop passing on stuff? And I'm like, well, I, you know, I just didn't feel it because if a deer walks in front of me and I don't feel it, I just don't shoot it. And he's like, shoot it yeah (laughs) i'm like but that's not how i him and i hunt we have very different hunting styles that's why we rarely hunt together but you know it's just it's one of those things that it is it is tough after the season's over and you've not put anything in there but we also hunt wyoming and we typically bring a deer a mule deer each of us bring a mule deer back from wyoming each year so it was a little bit of a buffer for me the last couple of years not getting something here so yeah but it was nice to get an indiana deer again i mean it was especially a buck like that that I never in my lifetime would have imagined getting a shot at. So it felt good. <laughs> well, you're, you're going to have to send me a picture with that buck so I can post that on our social media pages and stuff. Yeah, I would be happy to. Maybe use it to cover That's for one this I'm not, podcast. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed about bragging about that one because it was just complete luck. That's all it was. Yeah. No, that, 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 that's outstanding. And you had to learn this whole process too, how to how to be connected to your food, and how to, how did you start going about that? I mean, that that that's, did you get thrown into that too? Yeah, pretty much. It was <laughs> it was it was interesting because when before I killed my first year, and I did kill one that first season at the end of the season, but you know, Chance was killing deer, and his buddies were killing deer, and they'd bring him and hang him in our garage because it was cold, and it was a good place for them to hang him if they didn't have a place to hang him at their house. Mm-hmm. And just, I was pretty creeped out at the beginning. I mean, they're bringing deer over and gutting them into a bucket. And, you know, Chance's uh, daughter, Siani, she's 11 now, but she was three when we got together. And she's in there elbows deep 
pulling <laughs> organs. I mean, she's just like all in and I'm going, I don't know what these people are into, but I'm starting <laughs> to second guess this. <laughs> but, but after I watched the whole process from, you know, gutting it and skinning it and actually breaking down the meat and, and cutting it into, you know, cuts that you're going to eat. I didn't feel so bad about it. And then once I started eating it, I was like, okay, I'm all in. This mm. is, this is good stuff. It makes a big difference. Yes. Oh, I think no. being part of the process. Right. Right. No, it definitely does. And and you mentioned the, but pain. I was creeped out. I was creeped out at first for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little, as a little much to, uh, to take on right out of the gate, but now well, it doesn't. Nope, I, I, I totally get it. And I, I try to think of other people that may be coming into this and, you know, this will certainly help them go through that phase as well. Uh, for, for, for sure. <laughs> but it's funny because I, I think about that now that I'm telling you, but then this year I was in Montana with my best friend, her and I went out to hunt uh, mule deer on public land and she had never, she had never hunted mule deer. She's an avid hunter in Illinois for turkey and deer and pheasant, but she had never hunted for mule deer. And we, we both killed a doe. Actually, we doubled out on uh, public land on BLM land on our last day. And she had never uh, butchered one in the field to pack it out or never mm. quartered it. So it was, it felt really weird for me to be instructing her on how to quarter her deer out in the field and then how to pack it in her packs and pack it out. So it, a lot's changed in nine years. It's, yeah. it's been, I've learned, I've learned a lot and sitting here thinking back to how grossed out I was, you know, after that first season. Now I'm just like, I, this is just what it is. You know, it doesn't, doesn't really bother me. That brings me into that mentorship that now you're you're bringing this all around and mentoring. And it sounds like even though your your girlfriend has extensive experience, here's another aspect that you've been exposed to that you can share with and mentor. And yeah, no, that that that's that's yeah. a pretty neat part of what you're doing, Cindy. Because that's you know bringing it full full circle. It's been fun. Um, I I don't think I ever really thought about it until I was asked to be a hunter's ed instructor. Um, Siani was shooting archery for 4-H and I went to one of her practices and one of the fellows there asked me if I'd be interested in being an archery instructor for 4-H. And I was like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't know enough. And he was, and I, and I'd never really volunteered for much. Well, he was like, I, you know, come to the meeting on such and such date and we'll talk about it. So I went to the meeting and I agreed to go to Ross camp up in West Lafayette for a weekend to get trained to be an archery instructor for 4-H. But at the meeting I was at initially, Stephen Spencer was like, so I hear you hunt. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you want to be a hunter's ed instructor? And I was like, wait a minute. what?" <laughs> so I committed while I was there, I committed to another full weekend at Ross camp so I could get certified to teach hunter's ed. Yeah. But it didn't really dawn on me until I went through that process that I could actually take somebody else out and, and, you know, teach them how to hunt. And I, I think that the reason I enjoy it so much is because I, you know, I, I talk to them in depth before we go and whether it's a kid or an adult, whoever it is, but when we get out there, I don't, I don't hover, you know, I, I sit behind them and I let them kind of look around and ask questions. I don't get mad if they talk and I don't get mad if they're squishing around in their chair, because I think if you, if you are too strict, when you take somebody young out, it's not fun for them. And I think you have to keep it fun. Um, and even if we don't see anything the first few times, because they can't sit still or they can't stop talking, they're still learning stuff. I can still point stuff out to them, like what browse looks like and where tracks are and why we're sitting in a certain spot. But when they do finally see something that 
is what makes it so much fun mm. because they get so excited and their eyes get so big and they look at me and they, you know, look at the animal and I'm like, there, you know, there it is. That's what's fun for me. I mean, that's why I think I enjoy it so much. And it doesn't matter if it's a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old or if they're 30, you get the same reaction. You do. So oh. it's, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool. I mean, my son actually, for the first time this year, actually wanted to go deer hunting because we hunted a different way. You know, as youth season, you know, he usually sits and they hunt from a stand or something. But this year we still hunted and he liked that a whole lot better because like me, he can't sit for very long. Even I know how productive yeah. sitting is. Um, yeah. <laughs> And when the time we were sitting and we saw a deer, it was funny because I'm watching him. He's over on his phone because we have actually have a cell phone signal. So he's up there doing whatever on his phone. And again, like you said, you know, just leave him alone. And all of a sudden I see this deer oh, probably 100 yards out. So I, I just put deer. And it, I watch his reaction as it comes up on his phone. He drops his phone and instantly he's got the gun in his hand and his head's on a swivel. And I'm like, well, I'm glad the deer wasn't any closer, but it was yeah. boom. And it was that reaction. And I'm like, ah, oh. and now he's into it. Now he's on the hunt and, you know, moving through. And like you said, when they see something, I mean, just the learning process, we got into this area and he's like, boy, dad, there's a lot of deer in here, isn't there? I said, I don't know if it's deer, buddy. I said, why don't you look around and tell me what, what do you think is making all this sign? And he looks at me, he goes, moose. I said, yeah, there's a moose sign in here, but look, look close and look what other things are around that may have, you know, impacted this area. And all of a sudden he spots out of the corner of his eye, because it was a little ways off, was a beaver dam. And he's like, oh, these are beaver trails, aren't they? I said, yeah, they are. They've been dragging their tails and stuff. That's what making it look like there's yep. a ton of sign. I said, deer and moose are using them, but not to the effect that the beavers are. But to watch yep. that process and, you know, sign is about what's around too. It's not just looking down at the ground all the time. Um, when people yeah. are tracking something, they have a tendency so much to focus on the tracks rather than keeping looking ahead and, and constantly trying to get engaged what's around you. Um, so yeah. I thought that was a cool process for him to start filtrating and understanding hunting. And the other thing is I sent him with some of my friends because I always found that your kids have a tendency not to learn as good from you. <laughs> so I try to yeah. send him with some other of my friends so he can learn them because he has a tendency to pay more attention to what they're saying than, than what I'm saying. So. <laughs> yeah, Chance Chance wanted Siani to go with me the first few times because he's like, I just, I'll, I know I'll yell at her. I know I'll be too strict. I know I'll make her mad. And I know she won't have fun. So Siani went out with me the first few times that she went out and actually took a, took a rifle. And she was like nine, I think. But when she was with Chance um, two years ago, she killed her first deer. And it's funny because she didn't want to go. She's of the age, you know, she was, I think she was, well, she was nine at the, nine or 10. I think she was nine. And she's like, I don't want to get out of bed. And Chance, oh no, this was actually an afternoon hunt. She didn't want to go. She didn't want to go off the couch. And he was like, look, we're just going to go behind the house to the neighbor's property. We're going to go over there. We're only going to sit for a couple hours. Her big thing was she didn't want to have to put on all the clothes and she didn't want to have to walk across the hayfield. So it was just a like, kind of a lazy factor, I mm -hmm. think, that was her problem. She took a book with her, but she agreed to take her, her rifle. And she was sitting over there reading her book. And he said, just randomly, she lifted her, her rifle up and put it on the rail and started counting. And he's like, what are you doing? She's like, well, I'm focusing on a leaf. And if I can count to 30, then I know I can hold it up long enough if a deer comes in, he was like, this is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, she's a smart kid, but he's like, this is awesome. And it wasn't 15, 20 minutes later, a buck walked in 
And he was like, Siani, do you see that deer? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, can you get a clear shot? She's like, can I shoot it? And he's like, if you can get a clear shot, then go ahead. And she shot at 60 yards. It ran 30 and it dropped. And, you know, after the fact, I was losing my mind. I was at another property hunting and I came home just like, ah! you yeah. know, I was just so, and she's just like, yeah. So it kind of walked in and I could see it. And I mean, she's just so, meh, Chill. you know, like it wasn't <laughs> a big deal. And she did the same thing this, this spring. Uh, I took her out turkey hunting and over on the same property. And there were, it was, imagine like turkey heaven. Like if this was the best possible experience you could ever have turkey hunting, that's what this kid had. And she was, again, she was like, I don't know if I want to go. And I'm like, just go over and sit with me a couple hours. There were turkeys everywhere. Mm. I mean, gobblers, six gobblers, a bunch of hens some jakes, and they were all around us. <laughs> and sure enough, we got one uh, that walked around by the decoy and it went in the woods and then it came back out. <clears throat> cool as a cucumber. First time ever pulling up on a turkey and she shot it and killed it with one shot. And afterwards, you know, I'm again, losing my mind. And she's like, yeah, that was cool. I'm just like, <laughs> Are you serious? But she, she focused when she needed to. And she, she, she listened, which I was very proud of her, but then it was just like, no big deal. And I'm like, man, to be, to be that calm and, and collected, I, I couldn't do that. I mean, I'd be losing my mind if those two instances happened to me, but she, you know, she, like I said, she focused when she needed to and yeah. did what she had to do. And then she was like, you know, another day's work. I'm like, you're, <laughs> you're 10. <laughs> How do you do this? But, but kids, kids are funny. They, um, I have one young man, Colby. He's, uh, I think he's 12 and boy, he asks a lot of questions. I mean, it's just last year was worse this year. He's a little bit quieter, but but it was so important to answer those while we're in the field so he could see, like physically see what I was talking about when I answered him. And then match that with the 17-year-old uh, Noah that I took out last year. And he got his first deer last year. The kid doesn't talk. Like he wouldn't talk if you stuck him with a cattle prod, forcing uh -huh. him. He wouldn't, he didn't say anything. And he killed his deer and I'm like in tears because I'm so excited for him. And I was like, what do you think? And he was like, yeah, it's dead. I, thought, I was like, what? So it's funny how they, it's funny yeah. how they react. You know, I, I, yeah. I think it's because I'm so happy for them, which is what makes mentoring just the best thing for me, because I think I get happier for them than they even realize they are for themselves. And my gosh, I you know, this year I had more fun hunting with them than I did for myself. Yeah. It's just, once you do it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think everybody that's had, you know, one of their children shoot a deer or shoot something, uh, a woodcock for my son, uh, first year we, we adopted a German wire hair pointer. Uh, incredible. She pointed it, he shot it, she found it. Team effort by the first year he had, he had this dog, she was five years old and, you know, the bond's already been created, but well, what a special moment for both of those guys. And yeah, yeah and it doesn't really matter what you did. It's because you're experiencing what they're experiencing through them. And just the joy, the smiles, the it's just, it's so, so cool uh, to, to, to be there. Um, my, my son shot his first year with his grandfather. I set that up so they would be together. I was on another, I, I probably messed up a good buck because I was texting too much because I heard my son got a deer. So I was dead. As I turn around, I just see this tail spin and head out and I see antlers above it. And I'm like, 
Yeah, I just got busted because I'm texting too much in my tree, but I was already excited about my son but, and his grandfather. But you know what? <laughs> but it didn't matter, did it? It didn't because matter. It just- it's because the other was just so much more important and yeah. exciting. I think yeah. that's what's fun about it. And that's why I love mentoring. And I think I just, I, I got extremely lucky falling into the hunt to eat uh, position because now, you know, I get to set these hunts up for people for all, from all over the country. So mm. I'm, I'm, you know, to get to do that for a job, is just, it doesn't seem real. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's just incredible to, to bring them, you know, that food from hunting to the table and that whole process. And especially the, the age you came over on that, because we're seeing a lot of people coming over at that age. You mentioned the pandemic too. People, their eyes have been opened a lot to, uh, you know, self-sustaining. Uh, <laughs> you know, I had a, a guy say, you know, I was uh, I have an apartment in Manhattan. Yeah. Well, what am I going to do there for the next, you know, 60, 90 days uh, so yeah. pe- people left the cities. Yeah. They went to anywhere they yeah. could go, but the cities, cause you know, a, a one room apartment in Manhattan wasn't going to cut it, uh, when he had to, you know, do be, go outside. That was his options. And, uh, you know, start thinking of the future and, you know, maybe I need a freezer. Maybe I need to, you know, start learning how to hunt and I need to learn how to shoot yeah. and have these and, skills. And really all you gotta do is go to a sporting goods store right now. They have nothing. Nothing. Yeah. There, are, there are no kayaks, there's no fishing rods, there aren't any guns, there aren't any, there's no ammo. I mean, it's just, you can tell that there was a big shift in the last year because mm. people needed stuff to do. And they wanted to be outside because they knew they could go outside and have a little bit of freedom rather than being stuck in their home. So I think it's a good thing. I have to wonder, I'm, not that I'm skeptical, but I wonder when this passes and you know everything kind of subsides i wonder how much retention we'll get out of that yeah you know i hope that i hope that we get a lot because that's just putting back in the pnr fund but you know i don't know i don't know if people will just go back to their regular lives and you know not stick with it i hope they do i think people like you cindy are going to help sustain it because they are they are they, they are desiring they're striving now to learn and it's like a big sponge. And I don't think we, we weren't ready for this in the outdoor education venue. We, we started seeing the shift. We started seeing that. But we don't have the people. Uh, our, our hunter safety classes, a lot of them went online. Uh, we should be developing those guys into mentors or girls, into mentors like you to, to bring those people that have now stepped across that line to, to show them those things. And, and there's no better way than yeah. hunt to eat. Because that's exactly what they want. That's exactly why they stepped over that line. They want to hunt to eat, to sustain, you know, whether it's an emergency or not, or fill that freezer. That's, they want to learn how to process that. They want to have those skill sets. So I think you, you guys are poised the best for that retention. Um, what do you think? I think so too. I think that education is a huge part of it. And that's why we're going to, you know, try to, it's not just, um, it's not just going to be a learn to hunt program. It's not going to be take, 50 people out and take them pheasant hunting on a Saturday afternoon and, you know, never talk to them again. This Mm. is more about, we bring a very small group of people into a location. It could be four or five, depending on what we're doing, it could be up to eight people. And then the first full day that they're there, it's education. We're not, we're not even going out to the field. It's talking about why they have made the decision to be there in the first place. Like, why do you want to hunt? You know, have you thought about, you know, what your reasoning is. We talk about the conservation aspect. 
we talk about hunting ethics and how that varies for people. And, you know, just because something is legal doesn't always make it ethical and, and what that distinction is. We're going to talk to them about going back into their communities and talking to non-hunters, like being able to have that discussion with a non-hunter and explain what they're doing and, you know, why they feel good about it. So that whole first day is, is some in-depth, really kind of dig down and think about what you're doing, uh, educational sessions. And then the second day, uh, of course, we do firearm safety if that's necessary. You know, some clinics are going to be fishing and we go over uh, equipment there, but we do firearm safety. We will go do some range time before they're able to go out into the field. And then the second and third days, it's hunting. They're going out with a mentor and they're going to go into the field and experience what it is to hunt for whatever species we're, we're going after. So I think the educational value and, and teaching the concept of conservation and why it matters and teaching how to be able to talk to people who are non-hunters in a non-confrontational way is huge. So this is about community too. You know, it's, it's food, it's community, it's bringing people together. Um, but doing so in a way that you th- you hope that you're going to have that retention. So I think that's how we vary a little bit different from anything else that's out there. Um, that's, I, I feel like there's a value there for education that maybe people, and you know, a lot of state agencies and, and orgs, they're volunteer groups. So they don't have the people to put in the time. Mm. Um, there's been a little pushback from a couple people. They're like, so your mentors are going to have to pay to go to these camps. Well, yeah, because we're bringing in mentors that are educated people on these subjects right and that is worth something so yes it is we do have a nonprofit side that we'll be doing a lot of veterans hunts with that'll be free of charge for the people that are going to the camps but we're also doing a for-profit side because we feel like i don't know the commodity is the right word but it's a service it's a value and i think it's a service of value yeah because it Mm. we go that extra step and put that that real heavy educational aspect at the beginning of it Mm. yeah and i'm assuming your classes are full uh, yeah, well, right now we've got camps set up. So we have turkey camp uh, in the spring set up for Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, there's one getting set up for New York. And then I have a fishing camp set up for Florida. Those are all in April and May. Nice. And then we've got um, places that we're going to go deer hunt. We've got five deer camps, I think, set up already for fall. And I'm in the process of setting up some upland camps. We'll have waterfall camp or yeah, waterfowl camps and we'll have some small game camps which I'm super excited about because I'm a squirrel hunting yeah. nut. So I'm like stoked about that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we can hunt deer, but let's go hunt some squirrels. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we're trying to cover the basis and this doesn't have to be someone who's never like, you don't have to be a person who's never hunted. So you could be a deer hunter that has never hunted upland uh, game or they've never waterfowl hunted. And if that's something you want to get into, just because you've hunted deer doesn't mean you can't come to a camp. I mean, it's for new hunters and whatever that species is. So mm-hmm. uh, we kind of, we're not, we're not going to try to block anybody out because they've hunted something else in the past. Hmm. Interesting. And if somebody wants to get involved with the program, how do they go about doing that? So they would go to the hunt to eat uh, website. So it's hunt to eat.com. Um, and then there's a tab on there. There's a learn to hunt uh, tab at the top and it opens up our, our camp page. And there are three forms you can fill out. There's one, if you want to be a mentee, there's a Google form to fill out with all your information. And it just asks you some general questions about what you'd like to hunt, where you're from, how far you'd be willing to travel to go to a camp. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's also a private landowner form for people uh, who want to invite us to their property to hunt on their farm. Ah. We've had several of those filled out. Nice. And then there's also a mentor uh, form that someone can fill out if they want to be a mentor. And I should add, those people are going to be heavily vetted. <laughs> I mean, we're not just taking anybody that hunts to come in to, to be right. somebody that's going to teach at these camps. Mm-hmm. They, We really want to ensure that we have a certain way we want to teach and we want to make sure that that person agrees to teach that way and, and carries the same ethos or ethics that we have because we want these camps to be very consistently taught. But they can go to the, that was a long answer, but they can go to the website and find the information there and fill the forms out depending on where they fall in. Yeah, we like long answers on podcasts because people, they want to know. They want to know the details. They want to know where they can go. They want to know yeah. what they have to fill out. And for and you mentioned this before that I think is neat is the landowners, they, they might be, you know, a guided place that wants to keep their bucks, but they have too many does. So that would be a case where you guys would come in, shoot, you know, antlerless deer to call their herd. And it would be a, a great opportunity for them to do that without even yeah. affecting, you know, their, their hunters that come in behind you guys. And uh, yeah. So I just think yeah. that's a, a neat way to do it. Um, that's really and that's cool. what we're looking for. Those are the people we're looking for because, and the, and we will pay people. I mean, we're not, we don't expect to come in and do this for free. So mm-hmm. there is um, a monetary donation. No, it's not a donation, but we're paying the landowner basically for their uh, property to let us hunt there for three days or to run our camp there for three days. If they mentor, the mentors are also getting paid. So this is not, there are people that want to volunteer and help, but the reason that it is a, for-profit venture is because we are paying people to come in and give you the best information possible. And we're paying the landowners to be able to hunt property that do we want to use public land? Sure. Are we always going to be able to set, be set up to do that? Not always. I mean, there's a lot that goes into, you know, setting up an entire camp for 10 or 12 people, but that, that private landowner, they want their properties managed. And I think that that's a niche we can kind of fill for them. Plus they're going to get a little bit of revenue from us for allowing us to do it. So it's uh, I don't know. I think it'd be a really good deal for people if, if they kind of look into it. Yeah, no, I, I think it's especially for people that are just starting into it with that idea. What, what a place. And you guys were poised perfectly to, to pick that ball up and run because uh, of the pandemic, when when uh, when the shelves came empty, now they're looking for knowledge, they're looking for hands-on experience, and Hunt to Eat is there to 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 support that. Which you know, I think a lot of people weren't because they didn't see that coming. Uh, and, and then yeah. the distance yeah. thing, and you know, hunter safety things. Uh, almost every state except I think eight in the nation went totally remote. Uh, the other ones still kept their you know, their field days. But there was a whole lot less of them with a lot more guidelines. And, you know, so it actually stifled yeah. the amount of certifications they were able to put out. So um, Hunter Education's big we, with us, uh, for sure. Uh, we, we just, uh, uh, Alexander Baer just became uh, the new president of International Hunter Education. We did an interview with him a few days ago. And uh, just uh, exciting stuff because of the times we're living in. Uh, John and I always talk about we wouldn't be able to talk to you no- normally if, if if Zoom didn't come in and all these other yeah. things and all these platforms. Also, they dumped all kinds of money into it because we have to, and the stability right. of it, the opportunity that it gives for podcasters, uh, 
as much as we missed the one-on-one, and I'll, we'll, we'll get back to that eventually because there's nothing better than the one-on-one sitting yeah. down at a hunt-to-eat camp and, and doing an in-person interview is 10 times better than doing this distance thing because you have the human factor, and I hope we never right. lose the human factor. But uh, Yeah, it, it's, it's important, but I think, you know, it's interesting – Zoom is just a way of life now, and it's mm. it's very strange. It's very it strange to me because I don't like seeing myself. I don't like seeing myself on video. Like I don't mind doing podcasts and you know rambling about hunting, but it's when you sit in Zoom meetings all week long and uh, you see your face plastered up there, it's a little uh, disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, I find it... it is what it is, and it it's made things possible. Yes, I mean we can still keep functioning, and I think that's that's super important. And I've met a lot of. I've met a lot of people in the last year over Zoom that I probably wouldn't necessarily have met in person. So it's it's been fun. I mean, you yeah. have to make the best of it, I think. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, but yes, if you ever want to come to a hunt to eat camp and do another podcast, you guys are always welcome. I think sure. that that's a great thing. I think we should try to do that in the future. We've, we've done it with Hunt of a Lifetime. Yeah. I've done some live podcasts with them and they're just uh, great people uh, for sure. And you're going to be you know, one of the speakers at uh, a women's empowering conference coming up too. Uh, probably this will be air. You've already been there and done that, but um, certainly talk about that. Cause I think that's, that's one of your passions and kind of hunting comes into that as well. Yeah, it is. It's for a group called women of the outdoors. That's uh, a nonprofit organization. Phyllis Rowe is the uh, chair for that group. And she reached out to me and asked if I'd be willing to kind of tell my story of my past with domestic violence and how the outdoors really helped me heal and helped me get past all that. So as apprehensive as I was, because it's a hard, you know, it's a hard topic to talk mm-hmm. about. And especially I don't hold anything back because I think it's critical that you, you're genuine and you kind of put it all out there and it's uncomfortable for people. It's uncomfortable for me to even say it, right. let alone thinking about how many people m- might see that. But I think that's the only way you're really going to be able to reach somebody that might be in the same situation. So that um, seminar will be, it's a Zoom seminar, Mm -hmm. and you can register for that through womenoftheoutdoors.org. I think it's W-O-T-O-U-S-A.org, I think is the actual website. But if you put in Women of the Outdoors, you should be able to find it. There's a registration. It's a free seminar. It's for men or women. It doesn't matter. Um, but it's five different women telling their stories. So I honestly can't tell you what the other four women are talking about, but I know one, um, she's a five-time cancer survivor mm. and she's an avid outdoors woman. So I imagine that place is going to play into what her presentation is about, but right. it's just a different, a different story from each woman that kind of goes into how the outdoors has really made a big difference in their life and got them through some things that were pretty tough. Yeah, no, that sounds like a really good uh zoom conference too so it sounds very intriguing and i always find especially with uh these these sporting clubs that have been around they embrace women they you know if you're you know i took my family we we shoot we try to shoot on tuesday nights shoot trap and they were just so inviting because they they want a want new members they love the idea of family members the retired game warden showing up was they they were very happy about that too but they gave my wife all kinds of attention and again instruction much better than i can because i I get the frustration and so they, they did a great job and she loves to shoot she loves to fish she hasn't picked up the hunting thing i don't think she will uh which which 
is fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But well, we, yeah. we we do a lot of you know the other seasons together, and the, she mm-hmm. outfishes me all the time. Uh, <laughs> she's an, she's an incredible fisher woman, so uh, for sure. It's but, good that it's good that they were welcoming to her. That's I'm actually in the midst of writing an article um, for the Br Shally Sporting Report. And there's a plug, a yeah. shameless plug. Yeah, we can but talk about that. It's a local <laughs> local publication here in Indiana. Uh-huh. Um, but I I he asked me if there was any certain things I wanted to write about. And of course I wanted to write about mentoring. And I said, you know, I'd like to throw the question out there to women about, you know, how do you feel like you're represented in the hunting community or industry? Like what are your experiences? Are they good, bad? And he was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Just see what kind of response you get. So I did that last week and my Lord, my inbox, my emails, my Instagram private messages, my Facebook messages just exploded. And I have women from all over the country sending me their stories of good experiences, you know, with um, what what they've done in the outdoors. You know, there's been plenty of men that have mentored them or helped them or whatever. And then they're like, that's the positive part. But then here's the stuff <laughs> that hasn't been so good. And I'm like, oh my. And I copied and pasted everything that I've received from people into a Word document so I could have it all in one spot. Mm-hmm. It was 11,000 words. Oh my goodness. That's how much feedback I've gotten from women. Wow. And it's been everything from... When I go to the gun counter, no one will help me. Or if I go to the gun counter with my husband, they only talk to my husband. Mm. I'll ask a question and they answer him. Or um, I had one angler from the West Coast. She has sponsors and she's like, I don't want to be named, but this is what happened. She tried to, to uh, have a drift boat built, custom built for her. She's like an accomplished angler. Mm. And she called around and no companies would build her boat because they didn't take her seriously. <laughs> so she finally found a boat and dropped like 17 grand on a boat. But but even after she found a company that would do it, every time they called to ask a question during the build, they asked for her husband. Ugh. And it was, and it, yeah, it's that. But, but it's also, you know, experiences I've had where I've went out and I hunt. When Chance and I go to Wyoming, we hunt by ourselves. We may park the truck. But then we'll end up four miles from each other because that's just the way we hunt. We hunt mm-hmm. public land and we just split up. I've been approached by so many men that just, the first, I'm always like, hey, how, you know, how are you doing? You guys seeing anything? You know, which direction are you going? So I don't yeah. go the same way. And it's always, are you out here by yourself? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, are you out here by yourself? <laughs> because I don't see a problem. And they're like, well, is your boyfriend or husband? I mean, are they coming? And I'm like, no, I'm just, this is me. This is me hunting. I don't, uh, I mean, yeah, he's here, but he's like five miles that way. They're like, for real? I mean, those types of things are the feedback that I'm getting from women. So to hear that, you know, you guys went to the range and she was helped and she was, you know, accepted and given attention in the right way, mm. I think is awesome by whatever range you went to, because I'm, I'm learning that, I mean, I knew this stuff happened, but I didn't know if it was just me being sensitive to it because I've always worked in a male dominated field and it just, that's kind of stuff has always irritated me mm-hmm. or if it's happening elsewhere. And after all the feedback that I've received, I'm just like, wow, this needs to be addressed. And I don't know that because I write an article for a local publication is going to change anything. But given the fact that women from all over the country of and Canada, I guess too, have reached out and said, thank you for doing this because nobody talks about this. Mm. It's like, we don't want to be 
highlight it because we're women that hunt. We just want to be normalized. Like, <laughs> yeah, if we walk into a gun counter, why can't they walk up to us and talk to us like we know what we're doing, just like they would, or you know, a guy. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know how we haven't got there yet. Like, women have been hunting since the beginning of time. Yeah. So I'm Some, sometimes more than men. Me. Yeah. So it's it's just it's funny that you that you brought that up that they were so good to her because I appreciate that. Like, and I think in a <laughs> lot of places you know. they're starving and they don't know how to react. And I've been there as a, a fresh park ranger with my first law enforcement job in New River Gorge. I had a female supervisor, and uh, the first time we worked together, some guy gave her some guff, and I stepped right in and said, "Hey, you, when you talk to a lady, you talk to her." I've never had my butt chewed so hard after we got done that encounter. And I treated every female that I worked with after that as an equal. I never, and Regina Carrico, if she listens to this thing, she'll know she chewed my butt and she, (laughs) but she saved me a lot of grief thereafter. And it was just because of probably the way I was grow, grew up and you know, the the, how I was taught to treat a woman and, and it, it, it changes. You want to treat them as equals. So equals on the firing range, equals in the gun store, equals in the counter. If they want some help, uh, some information, absolutely. But you don't treat them like they know nothing, but some of them will probably know more than you do. Uh, Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I've gotten back from a lot of women. It was, and then I've talked to, there was uh, one woman I talked to from Montana and she said, you know, I go into these, these group meetings for conservation and it's mostly more men than women, but I try to get involved in a conversation about some conservation issue that's happening. And if I say anything, they just look at me and then they just go back to talking. I mean, she's like, I don't, I don't, I know as much as they do about whatever the issue is, but it's like, I can't gain any footing because it's, you know, it's the guys and it's the group of guys. And it, it is a, it, it is a, and I'm not, I, and I want to make this clear two things. I'm not some woman burn your bra. We're taking over the world. <laughs> I'm not that, per- believe me, I'm not that person. I mean, I've always had guys as better friends. I've not had a lot of girlfriends. I'm a tomboy. I, my hunting mentors and the people that I look up to, they're all men. So I'm not trying to say that we want to take over the world and, and, and run you guys out of hunting. That's not at all what this is about. And it's also not going to be an article about man hating. I want to make it very clear that there are so many men that I have so much respect for in the hunting community and industry and locally that do so many great things and are super helpful and they're great mentors and they support women in the outdoors. It's just that other group that I can't figure out why they have such an issue with it or, you know, the condescending remarks, like don't say anything. You don't have to like it that I'm here Mm. hunting the same ground as you, but just refrain from saying anything. You don't have to make a point of, well, are you going to be able to get your deer out if you get something? Yes, I'm going to be able. I yes, I can put a whole mule deer on my back. Yes, I am. Don't assume that I can't. You yeah. know, just that's. I think the assumption is is the part that we have the most problem with. We just assume that we're less than or we can't because we're female, and that's what all the women said. You know, just please make a point of saying that we just want to be normalized. That's it. It's yeah. not put on a pedestal, and it's not treated with kid gloves or you know girl gloves. It's just let us do our thing without pointing out that you think we can't do our thing right. so it'll be interesting it'll be <laughs> it's turned into a bigger piece than what i thought i talked to my editor the other day he goes cindy 
I don't even know. This has turned into something bigger than what I anticipated. He goes, we need to think about how we, this may have to be a series or it's bigger than just writing a one-off article. Uh And I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm feeling that vibe too. I want to do it right because these women trusted me with their stories and their information. And they trust that I'm going to put a message out there that'll hopefully shift the narrative. So no pressure, but I mean, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. But that, that's, that's great. That's what it needs to be talked about. It just needs to be talked about. And, you know, some of these people don't understand what they're doing. Uh, that same, that same group, they have a, a woman on their board and I'll tell you what, they revere her. They revere her opinion. She's a very independent hunter. Her and her girlfriend will go bear hunting with their dogs and uh, very yeah. accomplished. She may call her husband for help, but guess what? Her husband, when he's out there, he calls her for help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think too, there's a, there's a certain, there's a certain sense of guys aren't just being, a lot of guys aren't just being jerks. It's something that's different. Like they see something that's different and they react in a way that they're seeing something that's different. And sometimes mm-hmm. they, they just, bleh, you know, they say yes. things without thinking, but it's not malicious and it's not, you know, intentional necessarily. It's just that maybe they haven't really had to think about what they would say to a woman that they run into five miles from a road, you know, right. it's, it's, it's a feeling of something different. And so I'm not saying that everything is malicious because I don't believe it is. I just think they just, it's not something they're used to, but there yeah. are guys that are like complete, you know, they don't handle it in the best, best way. <laughs> yeah. I think they, they get a boys club reach. and they kind of want it to stay a boys club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I think, uh, I think back here, on, right? I mean, yeah. One of the yeah. warden's watches I did with uh, Jen Wolf, she's a Lieutenant out of, and she's probably, she's probably higher now that, but it was over a year ago we talked, but uh, in Michigan, she's a game warden there. And she talks about, her working in a sporting goods store at a younger age before she became a game warden and the interaction with a lot of the male customers that would come in and she'd say, you know, can I help you? And and very schooled in outdoor equipment, very schooled in guns and ammo, very schooled in everything. And they'd be like, yeah, is there a guy here I could talk to? You know? And so, yeah, that's how she she started off. So, that's the worst. Yes, it's the worst. Yes. And another example, I was out scouting a state park. We had a reduction hunt that I put in four nights. Somehow I got drawn for it. I was out scouting and I was in this area and I was looking for sign. I was trying to see if there were any old, I mean, this was the end of November. So I was looking for old scrapes or rubs just to kind of see what kind of traffic was coming through. <laughs> this guy, these two guys came in on the other side of this valley. They were up on this ridge and they were like, well, first of all, they called me a dude. They were like, hey, buddy. Because I had, you know, I had a ball cap and heavy coat on. I was like, oh, God, here we go again. Somebody calling me, somebody mistaking me for a guy, which happens like once a week. But I was like, and I didn't answer them. And they were like, hey, buddy. And I looked and I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh. You don't and sound I, like a buddy. Go, are you going to hunt? No. They're like, are you going to hunt here? And I was like, well, I'm thinking about it. But, you know, I'm kind of looking around. I'm looking for sign. And I mean, I'm not really seeing any scrapes or rubs or like activity there's a heavy trail use through here and the guy goes (laughs) this is so funny he goes yeah you won't you won't see scrapes or rubs you won't see those anymore the rut's over and I was like what and he goes yeah those things you won't see those anymore and I'm like I don't the only thing I could I didn't say anything because it was going to be hateful the only (laughs) thing I could think was so you're telling me I just want to say so you're telling me that that tree that has this massive rub on it heals up like overnight because the rut's over because deer aren't having sex anymore. 
that tree is healed up and I'm not going to see any sign and all the scrapes are going to be covered with leaves. They're just like the grass is going to grow in November and uh. I won't see any of that. And he's like, yeah, you, I mean, and I, of course, I, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah. The wheels are turning and I'm thinking in the most condescending voice that I could yell back across the ravine. And I just looked at him and I go, well, you know, I'm just not seeing much sign. And I kind of left it at that. He goes, yeah, that's all over with. You won't see any of that. But I can tell you, are you going to be here by yourself? And I said, yeah, I'm hunting by my, you don't have a buddy? I'm like, no, I don't have a buddy. I'm hunting by myself. And he goes, I tell you what, if to make it easier on you, there's another area that if you drive out this drive and go <laughs> way around and over in this other spot, it's closer to a road and it'll just be better for you. And I was just like, I mean, he, he was trying to put, and I go, well, are you guys going to set up? Yeah, we've got tree stands right here. And I'm like, okay, so uh, you're trying to make sure that I don't hunt anywhere near yeah. where you guys are at. Yeah. And I was just like, I mean, I was, I was nice and I didn't dive into why they were kicking me off. I and mean, it's just like, whatever. Yeah. But it was just, that's an experience. And I had talked to two women anglers that the same thing happened to them where they were fishing, they were fly fishing and two guys told them the road was closed and they couldn't get to the area that they wanted to go to. But then a buddy walked in and was like, man, we're going to such and such tomorrow. And I can't wait. The fishing's great. And the lady was like, dude, you just told me the road was washed out and you couldn't get to that site. But that's an example mm -hmm. of like guys kind of using whatever it is to push people, you know, women off of spots and making us think that, and I wouldn't know. I mean, they'd probably, just, they'd probably push other guys off of too. So <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. I will say, but I think it's just, I think they think it's easier to persuade us that it's helping oh, us by yeah. sending us to a spot closer to the road. And I was yeah. like, dude, that's not going to fly with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. But it's like I said, some people, I think it's on, on intentional and other guys, I just don't think that they're, they're really around very many women hunters or they just don't know how to react and mm -hmm. it's not you know it's not malicious so yeah no I, yeah. I i love what you're doing i love that we're having this conversation i love that people are going to be listening to this conversation and you know maybe think a little bit clearer uh, I, I i try to because you know we have one female game warden in the state of new hampshire and uh, we were doing an interview with nancy foley to to talking to when I called, I said something about the girls. She's like, Wayne, they're women. And I was like, yeah, that's an X on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> one, one demerit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I learned, I don't mean to offend at all. Some, sometimes uh, just my lack of exposure does that, but I certainly, yeah. uh, you know, again, the Regina Carrico taught me how to treat women in law enforcement as equals early on in my career. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Uh, all the respect in the world for that girl, uh, that woman. <laughs> and you know, there's a, there's a certain sense of the world. The I think there's an assumption that everybody's oversensitive these days to anything. Uh, to, that anybody uh, I would says. agree. And I think this is just one of those things for me, possibly just because of who I am that I've always been, uh, in a, I was in horticulture for 25 years. I worked in landscaping and, and nurseries growing native trees. I mean, everything, but it was, it was a man's environment mm -hmm. and I was the odd person all the time. So I think it's just, maybe I'm 44 now, maybe it's all those years of fighting the same battle. It's just finally gotten to the point that I want to say something about it. And maybe because I experience it now in hunting and it's something I love so much. I don't want to have to fight that battle anymore. Right. And maybe that's why I'm sensitive to it. But 
I don't I don't want it to come across as I'm just being oversensitive about one more social issue because I think there's a lot of social issues that need attention and maybe this one isn't important to anybody but me. But oh, I think considering you're wrong how many there. women reached out, yes, you, you know maybe you know maybe it matters. Yes. So uh, no, I think it yeah. does matter, and I think there's a lot of organizations, a lot of groups and everything that open arms to women, want to put women in those roles of leadership in the outdoor community and conservation, uh, in the in the good old boy, um, you know, fishing game clubs. I really see that. And if it's yeah. happening in northern New Hampshire, I know that, that, that it's going to happen other places too, that they really see the value that you guys bring. I see the value uh, just from a different perspective. Uh, you guys look at things differently, you attack things differently, and sometimes you're a lot more smarter than men in the way you attack it because you you, you have to look at, you know, geez, I got to take that deer out over this thing. So, you know, I got a drag rope or I got a cart in the back or, you know, you, you, you have that process because you know some of the challenges mm-hmm. and some of the the. The thinking that goes on there is so much better that it just, it's like a light bulb comes on when, when someone says it at the table. And I'm like, yeah, that's ingenious. And I, I try to use every resource I can, and, and especially from a, a woman's perspective. So uh, one of the girls that works There's- with me. Go ahead. Morgan Day, she's going to be a game warden someday. She's in school right now. But, you know, I try to bring her on everything we do because I like her perspective. A, it's young and it's female. And she's got a dynamic mind and a hard worker, so I I, I try to I try to use that, and uh, yeah, and I see other people trying yeah. to, even though they're older, they know it's there and they they want they want yeah. that. So, um, well, I give a big kudos to Mating Patelis, and he's the uh, president and CEO of Hunt to Eat for putting a woman in this new position i mean he you know it's a casual outdoor clothing company that he's shifting to um more of an education focus Mm -hmm. and for him to to put a woman in that education role to teach other people how to hunt it's a bold move i mean he doesn't think much of it because he's just doing you know what he feels is the best thing to do but for me it it, i appreciate it because i know it's a bold move in the hunting industry to do something like that so I think it's a smart I, I, move. I appreciate it, not just because I've got my dream job and I'm doing something that I love, but it was a big step for him. And and Gabby. Um, Gabby is our community manager for Hunt to Eat. So both of his employees are women, which, mm. you know, that, again, in the hunting industry, you don't see that much with, you know, a, a well-known company. So, yeah, kudos to him. Yeah, no, kudos to him. And I'm sure he saw, like I saw when I, when I first saw your poaching article there that's that's what caught my eye because a game warden every time someone weighs in from outside of the game warden world on anti-poaching it always catches my eye whether whether they're an author or whether they're you know an illustrator or, or whether whatever they're doing that catches my eye and then i started peeling back your onion i started looking <laughs> at you and going oh this woman's passionate you know, reading some of your other, she's passionate and she, she's got it together. And, you know, very recently, you know, nine years, I mean, man, she's, she's making all the connections very quickly and learning about it uh, very quickly, which is uh, inspirational to me because I, I just, I, I enjoy seeing that Gabriella Hoffman, we had on her on the same show. Uh, she's a dynamic young lady too, that is the same thing. 
is just starting to get in this outdoor experiencing it and mm-hmm. accepting so much of it. And, and you know, she's going to have some of these challenges too. So I, I want her yeah. to listen to this podcast too, because Cindy, cause you're going to help Gabriella uh, achieve some of these goals because of what you're doing and, and bringing this out amongst uh, the sporting community. It's, it's dynamic and, yeah, no, I think he picked the exact right person as the director of education for Hunt to Eat. Because, and just the thing, like I said, I just looked at your the, 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 the little things and then peeled back that onion. And I'm like, this woman has a lot to give and she's got that passion, which I always look for. And I know John Norris is always looking for passion too, because we both have it. And we both love what we did and we want to continue and share that. And, uh, you know, make these connections between our groups and, uh, you know, make us a, a, an outdoor adventure together. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty awesome. And, uh, really, uh, yeah, any closing words or anything? I did just, I, I, I went on that rant because I, I think a lot of you and I think more of you after this conversation. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I'm doing what I love. And mm-hmm. I, I think the only regret that well, I mean, I'm sure there's probably a lot of regrets in life, but one that <laughs> sticks with me and I think about a lot when I talk to people about only being in, you know, around hunting for the last nine years, I'm I'm sorely disappointed that I didn't get to spend my life doing it. I just, you know, I hear stories about, oh, my first gun when I was a kid and, you know, when I was da-da-da-da-da about their youth and I feel like I'm I'm sad that I missed that and that I'm getting into it later than life because I know that my body as beat up as it is i'm not going to be able to go out and you know hike in wyoming and montana and hunt like this forever so Mm. i'm trying to squeeze as much of it in now as i can before i can't um but i i'm very grateful for what i'm able to do now i'm grateful for chance for kicking me into the woods and telling me to figure it out as as rough as it was i think it was what i needed at the time and it you know like i said it i think it saved me from a lot of um self-doubt and and lack of confidence so the only thing i would say is tell people that if if you're going through a rough time i know it just sounds like the most simplistic thing in the world but just go outside go outside and and try something new that you never thought you could do and uh, could change your life wow that's going to be a great way to end this podcast thank you so much for joining the thin green line We, we really appreciate everything you're doing for us cindy thanks thank you i appreciate it 